But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you as we do week by week to be here with us in this place this morning. We trust that you are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask all of this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Please be seated. I was wondering as I prepared this sermon if anybody here would have ever heard of Charles Bronson. Anybody? Anybody under 40 heard of Charles Bronson? Okay, just a couple. I feel like he's sort of been collectively forgotten, but he was one of the quintessential movie tough guys of the 60s and 70s. My childhood experience with him was watching and re-watching The Great Escape and The Magnificent Seven just over and over and over again. But the movies he's probably best known for, or at least was best known for, and honestly probably the reason he's been forgotten by the culture, are of course the Death Wish movies. You familiar with Death Wish? It's the kind of movie that you really can't make today. In fact, they tried to remake it in 2018 with Bruce Willis, but it was a complete flop and also criticized for being racist and politically regressive. I haven't seen it because why would you watch a Death Wish movie without Charles Bronson? Anyway, we're getting somewhere, I promise. In Death Wish, Charles Bronson plays a man whose wife and daughter are attacked by street punks. You have to understand that in the 70s, this movie was made in 1974, in the 70s, Hollywood thought that street punks were like the number one problem in the entire world. Any 70s action movie, street punks are terrorizing everyone. There's no evil geniuses bent on terrorizing the world. It's all street punks. For instance, in Death Wish, Jeff Goldblum, who is like seriously 17 years old or something, plays a character called Freak Number One. I looked it up. Leather jacket, long hair, tangling earring, and he's giggling all the time. This is so 70s. Street punks all over the place. But in Death Wish, Charles Bronson has to take his vengeance out, not on the exact street punks who killed his wife and put his daughter in a coma because he can't find them, but he takes his vengeance out on street punks in general. Everyone is going to pay for what has been done to his family. He has a death wish. And he has it for five movies, by the way, 20 years of death wish. And this urge, this urge to take vengeance on everyone who has hurt your family, of course, made me think of Jesus's parable of the wicked tenants in the vineyard. This week, we have our third consecutive vineyard story, if you've been following along. This is, though, the first one that made me think of Charles Bronson. 
Now, two weeks ago, we talked about the 11th hour workers and how it was God's good pleasure to be generous to those who hadn't earned his favor. In fact, that's what grace is. God's generosity to the undeserving, like you and me. And then last week, we talked about two sons, one of whom said he would go work in his father's vineyard, but then didn't, and one who said he wouldn't, but then did. And that story was about the Lord replacing our hearts of disobedience with new hearts, hearts that actually love the Lord in light of his mercy in our lives. Today's story, however, has a more violent tinge to it. You might even say it has a death wish, or at least it seems like it's going to. So the landowner has a vineyard and leaves the country, leasing the vineyard to tenants. And the deal is that the tenants are going to work the land for some percentage of the yield, probably for room and board too. And then the owner will periodically send a representative back to collect his share. Of course, this deal doesn't work out very well in Jesus' telling of the story. The tenants treat the representatives that the landowner sends very poorly, beating them, stoning them, killing them. And he tries again with more representatives and gets the same Result And finally, thinking that surely these tenants will respect his own flesh and blood, the landowner sends his son to the vineyard. But thinking that this is their chance to usurp the rightful inheritance to the vineyard, the tenants kill the son too. And then Jesus does something interesting. He pivots to a choose-your-own-adventure story. And he asks the gathered people, how they think the story will end. And the response is incredibly telling. Jesus asks, so what will the owner do? And the people answer like we all would. Have you seen Death Wish? They assume that the owner of the vineyard is going to send in Charles Bronson. He will put those wretches to a miserable death, they say, and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. (laughs) This is the vineyard part three, a miserable death. This sounds so good to us, even though we might not like to admit it. This sounds right. This is the reason there are five Death Wish movies. It feels like justice. The tenant's behavior here is so appalling, so beyond the pale, that our bloodlust is raised a little bit. These vineyard punks shouldn't be getting anything less than they deserve, should they? But of course, that's the problem with us. We're addicted to the word deserve. Now, While the gathered crowd is out for blood, Jesus says, haven't you read the scriptures? And he quotes them a psalm, Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
What is Jesus talking about? I thought we were talking about a murdered son and tenants in a vineyard. And all of a sudden, Jesus seems to pick this verse out of the air. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus is pointing out to these people that they've missed the point of his story entirely. Just like the workers who were jealous of those workers who were hired at the very end of the day, the 11th hour workers, these people are tuned into fairness, not mercy. They want people to get what they deserve. They're ready for retribution, not grace. They're rooting for judgment, not love. They want justice. They want Charles Bronson. Justice says an eye for an eye. Justice says if you hurt me, I hurt you. Justice says if they kill your son, you kill all of them. But Jesus is a different way. But he's not ready to get to his different way yet. He wants to show these people the kind of world they think they want to live in. So he talks about what living your life under a holy justice really looks like. What it really would look like for people to get what they deserve. Therefore, I tell you, he says, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who produce the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. St. Paul, in our other reading this morning, the one from Philippians, Paul talks about Living up to the law, trying to avoid the crushing weight of this stone. He talks about what it might take to be a person who, in Jesus' words here, might produce the fruits of the kingdom. In other words, he talks about what it might take to be a good tenant in God's vineyard. And he says that if anybody could have been a producer of that good fruit, it would have been him. He was the best, circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. If anyone could have earned their status as a worthy tenant in God's vineyard, it was Paul. But now Paul has come to know better. If he'd been in that crowd listening to Jesus' parable, at least after his conversion, he would have known, like the scribes and Pharisees did, that Jesus was telling that parable about him. Whatever gains I had, he says, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. He counts all of his supposed qualifications as loss. He knows that his whole resume is garbage. He sees the truth. That he is a murderous tenant. The stone of the law has broken him. 
He has been smashed to pieces. This is God's first word to us, that we are the murderous tenants who would love to get our hands on the son's inheritance. And this word, like the stone in Jesus' parable, breaks us. And it has to. For us to be saved, we must first be broken. For us to be resurrected, we must first be destroyed. We have to come face to face with the awful truth that we cannot save ourselves. The truth is, this is already happening. Every time we look at our bank statement or punch the clock at work every time we argue with our significant other, wonder about the future, go home for the holidays. Every time we look in the mirror, we are reminded of the bad news, that we are the tenants who didn't take care of the vineyard. And yes, we are even the tenants who killed God's son. As we just sang in Stuart Townend's gorgeous song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there. Jesus' parable puts those awful words into our mouths. This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. These words should feel familiar on your tongue. We echo them every Good Friday when we shout as a congregation, crucify him, crucify him. We acknowledge and confess that this is our rightful place in the story. We are the wicked tenants. Now this bad news, that we are the wicked tenants, makes us rightfully worried about what will happen next, right? What will the owner of the vineyard do? We can expect trouble. It's like the angels sang in 1963 to the guy who'd slandered a girl while her boyfriend's away, right? My boyfriend's back and you're going to be in trouble. What's going to happen when God comes back to his vineyard and sees what we've done? Well, if law and justice was the final word, it would look like death wish. Five movies full of retribution, slaughter, and revenge. The law says, send in Charles Bronson. Put those wretches to a miserable death. But incredibly, there is an announcement of good news. It is the slain son that accomplishes the salvation of the tenants. The law is not the final word. On account of Christ, it never is. Good Friday was not the end of the story. Jesus didn't stay dead. And Stuart Townend's song isn't over either. 
It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Remember what happened to the stone that the builders rejected. It didn't get thrown onto the dust heap somewhere. It became the cornerstone. It is the foundation of everything. Everything is built upon it. Psalm 118, listen to it again. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is amazing in our eyes. It is amazing in our eyes. Amazing is a holy God becoming one of us. Amazing is our sin imputed to God's Son and His righteousness imputed to us. Amazing is a great stone rolled away and a tomb sitting empty. Amazing is Jesus' repeated claim that He didn't come for righteous people, but sinners. Amazing is you and me Wicked tenants in God's vineyard, forgiven, redeemed, reborn by the blood of Jesus Christ. And because Jesus didn't stay dead, because he was raised to new life and has given that new life to each one of us, God's coming back to the vineyard is no longer a cause for fear, but for rejoicing. The stone broke us because we were sinners, but it didn't stop there. It raised us to new life with Christ. Perfect love casts out fear, and on account of Christ, we are loved perfectly. We can say now with Paul that everything else fades away compared to the surpassing glory of knowing Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now the vineyard has been given back to us. And we will produce by the work of the Holy Spirit the fruit that God desires. The stone that the builders rejected is what makes all of this possible. It has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is amazing in our eyes. Amen.